Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Uh, we are just here to discuss the Vikings' first playoff home game since the Minneapolis Miracle almost five years ago to the day. We will preview that game on Sunday afternoon at U.S. Bank Stadium, a rematch against the Giants. Um, and then we'll get to your questions as well, because we have a lot of them to get to. Um, but yeah, as, as we were talking about, Ben, on one of uh, the many meetings with the Star Tribune about how this game surely will just, uh, <laughs> as the first home game, will be the uh, first playoff home game, will we'll probably pale in comparison to the Minneapolis Miracle, which was obviously such a dud in playoff history. But um, <laughs> the, the way these Vikings are playing these games, um, it's probably going to come down to a kick in overtime. Yeah, it probably will. I mean, the last one was the most boring home game they played in, well, I guess not the most boring in December. You had the one where they had six red zone stops, the one where they had a 33-point comeback, and the one where they had a 61-yard field goal to win it. So the second most boring home game in December with the longest field goal in team history. So, yeah, I mean, point being, the way they have played this year would suggest that this is going to be tight. Um you know, Vikings fans just get ready for that. I think throughout the playoffs, playoff games are tight in general. They're they're high stress. Um, they're they're a roller coaster as a fan. But um, you know, where would you rather be? Would you rather be doing this or sitting at home thinking about picking 16th in the draft like the Packers are doing? So you know, enjoy it and and have some fun with it. I think. Yeah, Mike, I can't imagine the uh, first two-score win since week one uh, at Soldier Field did much for the confidence uh, on your end in terms of how the Vikings are going to be able to handle the Giants in this game. No, I mean, that game, it was, you know, it was such a strange game against the Bears, right? Because you had, you know, the Bears obviously incentivized to lose, doing kind of everything. They you know, ruled out Justin Fields very early in the week. Um you know, put in Tim Boyle for a while. Um, I don't even know what that was. I don't know what the motivation there was aside from maybe go throw a fair catch to Patrick Peterson and let him have an interception. Um, but it, yeah, it, it, the, I guess the Andrew, the one thing you and I talked about earlier this week on daily delivery that was maybe useful is you got at least a little bit, maybe more continuity with some of those offensive linemen that hadn't played much together you got a read in there for a half you, you got you got some things you maybe got you felt good about yourself if you're the offense Kirk Cousins had a good half but there was still like some things that you didn't love about it like the running game still wasn't great a lot of the time you had a Dalvin Cook fumble you had the mess at the end of the first half where it's like man if they if they approach the end of half or end of game like that in the playoffs like losing those three points in the playoff game would just be devastating but uh it, it's just you know so so there's some things about it that you didn't like I guess bottom line is they got out of there relatively healthy they got out of there with a, a win at least to kind of maybe somewhat wash away what they did against Green Bay the week before but yeah I don't think we can take much out of that game other than everybody got a little bit of exercise and now they're going to be on to the Giants and, and really the health, that's such a big part of this, right? That's what they were trying to get out of clinching the division so soon, December 17th against the Colts. Um, and so they rested Arius Smith for that final game. They rest Harrison Smith. They take the second half off basically for every meaningful starter um, in that game. So, Ben, in terms of defensively trying to get those guys healthy again, we know Zadarius Smith has dealt with that knee injury for much of the, the season. Um, Eric Hendricks, Harrison Smith, all these guys have been on injury reports in December or later. 
And so having a full team ready to try to take the ball away from Daniel Jones, because to me, matchup wise, they couldn't even stop them in that Christmas yeah. Eve game. That was such a problem where they give up 330 some passing yards, another quarterback that was having a season high or close to a season high in passing yardage against Minnesota. Um, they won in part because they were able to end some of those Giants drives with takeaways, including Patrick Peterson getting that pick on Daniel Jones. To me, they need to force game-changing plays. They can't just sit back as they've done and get picked apart. Yeah, and that one was interesting because they played a lot of man coverage in that game. And the week before was when they first kind of went to that against the Colts because you'd had O'Connell talking about making some changes to the defense. And there was kind of this feeling that something had to change or <laughs> there was going to be bigger changes in terms of play callers. So they'd gone to that and then stuck with some of that against the Giants. The Giants ran a lot of man-beater stuff in that game, a lot of crossing routes, you know, kind of trying to pick on Patrick Peterson and say, okay, let's see you follow our receivers especially Isaiah Hodgins across the field. So, I mean, you had a lot of that that went into this game. I'm, I'm curious if the Vikings will approach it the same way or if they'll go back to some of the zone stuff to try to confuse Daniel Jones uh, in terms of what he's seeing. I mean, some of those things are, I'm sure are discussions they're having this week. But it was also interesting to hear Kevin O'Connell say on Monday that we have been, I guess, careful enough that we feel like we can go harder this week in practice. And he talked about having a little bit more uh, aggressive of a practice week than you would expect going into the playoffs where they're trying to keep everybody healthy. He felt like we've done enough that we've got a little bit of, of margin here. I mean, you hate to have that happen and, and have a serious injury in practice that hurts them in the game. But uh, it was interesting to hear that be part of his thought process this week, just in terms of uh, how they're going to approach this one, given the fact that for the better part of the, the second half of the season, they've kind of gone the other way of trying to keep guys healthy. They must feel like they've done enough there that they can kind of dial the the uh, turn the dial back up a little bit. Yeah, Mike, and, and there's many components of this team that need the practice, right? <laughs> yeah, um, first and foremost being the offensive line, my pet uh, my pet project, the offensive line, which they've you know invested heavily in over the last you know several drafts, and I think you guys have made good points where. You know, the first nine, 10 games of this season, the the plan at offensive line was working. It was, you know, it was their last five, what, first or second round draft picks were starting on the offensive line and they were healthy. And then they started to get nicked up a little bit. You had the the concussion problem with Christian Derrissaw. And then, and then I think the next one was Bradbury. And then after that, of course, the season ender for Brian O'Neill, which looms large for these playoffs. But yeah, they need continuity there. They need work on, on defense. I mean, I just, I still, you know, that's still like work in progress is a very uh, kind way to phrase it after 17 games. Um, that, that's, I just don't feel like they're, I don't know if they're ever going to get where they want to be on defense this year if they haven't gotten there already. I mean, they maybe they only have one game left to get there if they do. I mean, this isn't the greatest offense in the world they're going to be playing in the Giants. It is a team that's kind of surprising, kind of like the Vikings. I don't think anybody picked the Giants to be where they are right now. So maybe there's an element of overachieving for the Giants too. Um, but yeah, the, the Vikings got to take care of their own business. It just, it just doesn't feel like even though they won games in the back half of the season, it doesn't feel like if, if you were, if, if the one thing you could say when they were winning all these close games was, Hey, maybe they're still kind of reaching this crescendo. That crescendo never came. They just never started playing any better in the second half and in fact played worse. And some of that was injury and some of that was just inconsistency. 
Uh, you bring up the Giants. They did. They started out the season six and one. Had uh, pretty much the entire NFL world talking about how th- them and the Vikings were the biggest frauds of all time. And then that conversation just kind of kept hovering around Minnesota as the wins kept stacking up, and none of them, as you're pointing out, really convincingly uh, for the Vikings. But the Giants have been three six and one to end the season. They've lost to every NFC contender they've faced in the second half of the year. That includes the Vikings in that game, but the way the Vikings had to eke it out with a Justin Jefferson screen to set up a 61 yard field goal that even the coaches were prepared for him to miss by sending the offensive lineman down to tackle the returner. Uh, if that kick fell short, uh, it took a, a franchise history career long field goal for that to happen. Um, so it, it's going to be a close game just because, yeah, as you said, the Vikings really don't, Uh, The only way I see it being anything but a close game, Ben, as we talked about, is if these stars that they've been holding back and potentially a defense that's been held back by some play calling is truly aggressive. If we see Zadarius Smith have the game he had against the Cardinals where it's like three sacks, if Ed Donatel's unleashing, you know, blitzes that we just haven't seen them throw at people, um, Daniel Jones, I know he's mobile, but again, the best way I feel like they need to change this game is by taking the ball away from him in a way that the Giants, to their credit, have been good at, yep. at taking care of the football and handing it off to Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I mean, they've made things about as easy for Daniel Jones as they can. And you have not seen him. I mean, that was kind of the thing when he threw that pick to Patrick Peterson in the first game. He hadn't thrown a pick in quite a while and, and really has done a pretty good job, like you say, of taking care of the ball throughout the season. And they've had to do that because this is not a team that's going to go beat anybody 38-35 very often. I, I think you have to have that pass rush do a lot of what it did in the first matchup where they can get after him, keep him from beating them with it, with his feet, probably get home without having to put a lot of blitzes in where, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's stuff that you still have a zone coverage behind it that he has to decipher and you can get home and, and you get the better of him that way. But in some of these cases, it feels like if you blitz and you devote too many guys to the pass rush and he gets out of it, it turns into a broken play and you don't hold coverage and and you can get beat that way. So if you can get home with four, which they should be able to do against this line, I think that's going to be a big factor in this game. You have to have Tadarius Smith doing what he did in the first half of the year. We haven't seen much of that in the second half of the year, at least in terms of, of getting home, though he did have a number of pressures in that first game where he was awfully close to a sack. And if he can finish a couple of those plays, that could be the difference in you know, just shutting this offense down enough that the Vikings can separate themselves. Yeah, I think to your points, the Darius and Hunter combined for seven hits on Jones in that yeah. game, and it was their best game together just in terms of the amount of times they were drilling the quarterback. Um, so if they can replicate that, that would go a long way too. And I really think this offense for the Vikings should put up even more than the 27 that they put up just in terms of what they're capable of. And Mike, I think that's part of the frustration, right? As you see Hawkinson, Justin Jefferson, K.J. Osborne individually have these games, but collectively so rarely have they been able to put it together outside of strong fourth quarters. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a strange year. I mean, I think overall the offense has been pretty efficient. You look at their scoring is probably top 10. Um, you know, some of their, you know, red zone stuff has been pretty good. It's just been, it's been inconsistent enough to make you say, Ah, like it's not it's not truly like you know to use a pj fleck where it's not truly elite or it's not joe flacco elite it's it's just kind of like it's good but for this team to be at its best in the playoffs the offense does have to be 
better. It has to be. I mean, the offense has been their best, the best part of this team for the past probably three years, right? I mean, going back to even the last two years of, of Mike Zimmer, even if he didn't want to admit it, the offense had eclipsed the defense in terms of their overall performance. And when they were going to win, it was probably going to be because they outscored somebody, not because they had a great defensive game. So yeah, they're going to be firing on all cylinders. Now, what's interesting is how how much does Kevin O'Connell believe that you need to have a running game in, especially in the postseason? I mean, I think I saw a stat there. You know, they're they're in the bottom three of the NFL in terms of rushing attempts per game. They they give up on the run pretty quickly but that's maybe not a bad idea when you don't run very well and you have a lot of these negative plays so i i guess the 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 biggest thing i'll be curious to see is what what's his game plan what's his mentality or approach is he will will pretty much know like are they trying to set things up for later or do they feel like they have to score on pretty close to every possession in order to have the kind of game they want to have and Ben, we've heard O'Connell talk about how w- the Giants are such a blitz-heavy defense. They really try to suffocate you at the line, and they yep. can be a hard team to run against. But when you do break a run against that blitz, there's nobody left to, yep. to cover it. So you can have, as Adrian used to say, the famine, famine, feast kind of running game against them if you just stick with it. The Giants are a team that really force you to be patient in that way. Yeah, it, and the trick to being patient in the run game, I think, becomes – how many possessions can you sacrifice by running the ball and getting yourself a third and long and going three and out in a playoff game? I I think that's the concern with this front against this line, because that giants group is going to make things difficult with Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence in the middle of it. They're going to get pressure with four when they want to do it. And they also blitz a lot, like you mentioned. So it is, I think a difficult thing to stay patient with, but they ran the ball really effectively early in that game against the Giants last time and then kind of got away from it as we went through it. So you wonder if they keep going <clears throat> with the run game and if they're able to hit some of the things they did last time, you know, maybe that becomes a effective counterpunch. I, I think the big question, though, is how well will this line play given the people it's missing that it was not missing last time, and specifically Brian O'Neill. It's that it's hard to make up for a loss like that at this point. And I think if they're able to do it, it's going to be a quite a testament to their game plan and the way they've used their personnel uh, to not notice the loss of a guy like that. And Garrett Bradbury has kind of made clear that he doesn't want to be much less than a hundred percent when coming yeah. back. And what, what are the chances he feels a hundred percent after one week of practices, but the Vikings are holding out hope. Kevin O'Connell said he and uh, Bradbury intends to practice on a limited basis today, but the injury reports will tell his full participation as Chris Reed will most likely continue to get first team reps and face some of the toughest matchups, as you mentioned on that interior giants offense defensive line, excuse me, that um, for all of Cook's success against the giants, there was one sequence that I remember from that game where he broke an 18 yard run. I think it might've been against a blitz. And he was able to get out on the perimeter. And then the next snap, Austin Schlopman, the backup center just got benched back and Dexter Lawrence blew up a run. It's like that's the kind of stuff that can continually happen. And then that was a a period where O'Connell, as you guys mentioned, just got away from the running game and went you know, very pass-heavy from there on out. It can kill the head coach's confidence pretty quick when you see the interior blow up the way these Giants can blow it up. So um, also, the Giants on defense, just personnel-wise, have really bad 
coverage linebackers. TJ Hawkinson had 12 catches in that game. Yeah. He was the leading um, receiver for the Vikings before that final drive where Justin Jefferson had two catches, including the screen, to set up that field goal. Um, somehow, I don't know how, the Giants offensive linebackers, the two starters on the interior, Jalen Smith and Micah McFadden, don't have a pass deflection between the two of them. I, I don't understand how that's possible, how you play a full NFL season and you don't get your hand on a single pass or get credit for it anyway. Um, so I think O'Connell's looking at that and probably get the screen game going again, the way they did with Jefferson at the end and the way that they have with Cook in, in recent games and with Hawkinson. Um, I see why he doesn't always want to lean on that running game, but I, sometimes in a game like this, it could benefit you uh, to give that defense a break too. Um, all right. If you guys have any more words on the matchup, we can talk about that. Otherwise we can open up a mailbag that we have quite a few questions on. Uh, I think the only other thing I, I think about from the perspective of how this offensive line handles things, uh, Andre Patterson on the other side of the field, obviously uh, has, has coached against this team this year, but will coach against Ole Udo on Sunday, who did not play, did not start in the first game. Andre Patterson obviously knows Ole Udo very well, and he's playing the spot that he has in the past. Um, well, I guess he was on the in right at right guard in the past, but he's on that same side of the line where you can get some of those same matchups. And you know, Andre Patterson's seen it in practice. He's seen it in games. It's not probably the most favorable matchup to put a new starter in when the guy scheming a lot of the stuff on the other side, or at least helping scheme a lot of the stuff on the other side, is somebody who's coached against you for quite a few years, uh, or coached you know, coached his defense in practice against you for quite a few years. So, um, just one more thing to keep in mind. I think. I mean, to me, really, this is this is going to be the key to it. Can that line hold up? I I think if it does, I think the Vikings will win. Uh, but that's a big question, I think, given what that group can do and and kind of what it did in the first game. They blitzed Cousins a lot. They got some pressure. <clears throat> he took some shots, made a number of throws where he was getting smoked at the end of it. And um, you're you're going to have to handle that group, I think, to win. Yeah, I mean, from my standpoint, too. All right, let's – oh, oh, go ahead, Matt. So from from my standpoint, the the I mean, the, the one of the more interesting things going into this game is less about the matchup with the Giants and more just about – the Vikings, I think our colleague Jim Suhan mentioned this in a meeting we were in a little while ago, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to write about this later this week, but they haven't really had a must-win game, like, all year, really. Like, they, they got up to such a weird, you know, gaping, huge lead in the NFC North and kind of were able to coast to a certain degree. I know that uh, home field stuff and playoff seating was still in play, but, you know, in terms of pressure or in terms of, you know, conversely – you know, needing to step on the gas. They haven't really had a lot of that, at least in the second half of the year. So I'm really kind of curious to see how they respond to a moment where, you know, all of a sudden it's, you know, win or go home. And can are they going to be at their best? Have they been, you know, are they ready for this moment? I think is kind of the question that is, is maybe the most pertinent of all as we think about this game. That's interesting. I guess I, I think, and Ben and I have been, you know, around the team every day. I feel like they've done a good job of putting pressure on themselves in some of these games. Like the Buffalo game felt huge, even going yeah, it into like it. A playoff game. That that and players compared it to a playoff game afterward, just in terms of the physical exertion and emotional drain of of that kind of a win. Um, I also think the game at Lambeau, and they felt that was one where the complete opposite result, but that was built up in a way of like 
we as in the Vikings have a chance to really put our stamp on the on the north and they couldn't do it. Um, to your point, though, I guess coaches haven't maybe game planned it that way. Maybe the Buffalo game was more all out in terms of the way they were coaching it. The Green Bay game didn't feel that way because you still had guys rotating in and out. Um, decisions made more on long-term health. So there are, I guess that full all-in nature really hasn't been there or really feels like it hasn't been there since that Buffalo game. I think that's the closest to the playoff feel we've had. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, they have been able to back away on a lot of things. I mean, even the loss of the Lions, they had a couple players in that game, I think Garrett Bradbury being one of them, that didn't play because yeah. they're like, well, let's keep guys healthy. Let's back off some of this stuff. And we, we really have not seen them ask all of their veteran starters to play 80, 90% of the snaps or more in the last month. I mean, they, they have not had to do that. So um, I, I think as they get back to that this weekend, it's obviously going to feel different. You're going to have probably some new things cooked up and, and it's a different feel. But, you know, I, I think uh, the fact that they will have everybody in there that is healthy enough to play is it's in and of itself going to be a, a bit of a departure from what we've seen the last month. All right, let's open up the mailbag. We got a lot of questions. Thank you for sending them. You can find our Twitter handles and our emails at StarTribune.com under the Vikings page. Uh, we've all written a lot of stuff about the Vikings, so you can find all of our handles there. Um, but a lot of you already have them. You've sent a lot of questions. And again, thank you. Kirk Cousins official burner wants to know who has the worst situation in the NFC North and why is it Green Bay? <laughs> so this is like a future <laughs> get away from... being uh... more of a future question, right? Oh, go I mean, ahead, so this Mike. is less about, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, you, you never know. Who knows how this, how Rogers stuff is going to play out. He's not going to hold them hostage, but he kind of is probably for at least a couple months. Um, you know, he's, you know, the way they finished the season, the way they started the season, they're still, you know, if he came back, it wouldn't surprise me if they were still a, a, a playoff caliber or playoff potential team next year. But I, I think that, I think where you run into some questions with them is what, what is kind of the, the long-term vision. And, and this year they just didn't get a whole lot of answers. If they, you know, if, if the, the idea and then was probably a good one. If the notion was, Hey, let's try to run it back with a team that's won 13 games, three years in a row and has a quarterback who's coming off of two MVP awards. Uh, that's not a bad place to start where they finished though, is out of the playoffs, but not so far out of the playoffs that a, they got a high draft pick or B they got a real look at Jordan love, a quarterback they got to make a decision about. So that's where I think they're running into problems is they just didn't really None of none of the best case scenarios for them, like the best case scenarios for them obviously would have been either be really good or be really bad. And they wound up somewhere in the middle and that's kind of never where you want to be. So I think that's where you, you, you didn't learn much this year about how things could play out next year or beyond. Well, and they were tipping towards that. I mean, they, when yes. they're four and eight, you're thinking, have we seen the, I remember asking, have we seen the last of Aaron Rodgers?" When I think it was that game he got hurt in Philadelphia, you're thinking, they're going to be eliminated officially fairly shortly, and you're going to see Jordan Love at that point. You know, Rodgers continued to say, I want to play, at least until we're officially eliminated. They never were, so they never got a look at him, and they have to make a decision on his fifth-year option. You have Matt LaFleur coming out saying, I want Aaron Rodgers back. You, know, I, you can debate how sincere that is, and 
you know, whether Rodgers will pay any mind to that or not. I mean, he's got, I think he makes $58 million if he does come back and that's going to have something to say about it as well. But yeah, I, I think between their cap issues, between the fact that they still don't know heading into year four, what they have in their first round quarterback and the fact that they are still dealing with a guy that has a lot of pull and has shown he is not afraid to use it to his own benefit makes it a very difficult situation to navigate. I mean, you look at that compared to the Bears, where they have a young quarterback, they have $100 million to spend, they have the first overall pick. You have the Lions have a lot of high picks, maybe able to roll with Jared Goff for a little bit. If they decided they didn't want to do that, they'd have options there too. Uh, they have a coach they believe in, I think, and the Vikings have a lot of questions coming up as well. But you have a 23-year-old superstar in Justin Jefferson that you can build around, and and they're going to have some, they're going to have a lot of questions going forward independent of, of what happens this year. But yeah, I think that it's independent of trying to dunk on the Packers. I think there's a intellectually honest argument to be made that the Packers are in an awfully tough spot in the NFC North. Yeah. They're, they're not as tough of a spot as Ryan Poles and the bears, the bears. I mean, that roster is so bad, right? It is bad, but they got a yeah. lot of freedom to make it how they want. It doesn't matter to me. That doesn't matter. Like the the Jacksonville Jaguars turn around from back to back number one picks only happens because Trevor Lawrence was always going to be great, right? Yeah. That Justin Fields, I have no belief that that kid can manage a passing attack in the NFL, and so it leads to legitimate yeah. argument of like, do you trade him to then take a guy at number one that you want? Um, I've heard I think Mike Tannenbaum threw that out there, and people thought, oh, that was such a dumb take. I'm like, not, I agree with it. Like the like, Josh Rosen thing. Trade Yeah, trade Justin Fields because I don't think he's going to be – I think he's an electric runner, a Lamar Jackson-type runner that you can build an offense around. But is it one that you want to build your 10-year plan around? One that is only going to have three chief years left on it before you really need to start paying it. So I, anyway, I, I think Chicago, though, is like they have so much they need to restock and rebuild. Whereas Green Bay, you finally saw that defense kind of coming to life where it was the offense and Aaron Rodgers that really let them down, in my opinion, in that Green Bay game or the, the Lions game at the end. Um, yeah, it, to me, if I'm the Green Bay, I look to move on from Rodgers because does he give off the Tom Brady obsessiveness that that you really need to thrive at 45? Like, he lost games because he, in my opinion, because he didn't have the connection with the receivers and he skipped most of the offseason program where he could have built some of that. Exactly. And I'm and Tom Brady had to eventually skip that stuff probably because, you know, to save what was left of that marriage. But it's at one point Aaron Rodgers <clears> – <throat> excuse me, just seems like he has other interests. Just seems yeah. like he has a broader view of the world in terms of whatever that view is. It's broader. It's away from football. Um, just not and, with family. and I don't think you can keep aging. <laughs> it's not with family. I don't think you can keep aging that way. And there's only one Tom Brady. I, we can't expect guys to keep doing it. So um, that's my take. Yeah, I think I mean, the question with them, I mean, they do have pieces back, but they are also in a, worse cap spot than just about anybody. And that I think is going to have a lot to say about who is back next year. I mean, there's going to be questions about, do you bring Aaron Jones back? David Bakhtiari is probably gone. Um, Adrian Amos, the safety is probably gone. You know, I, there, there's going to be a lot of changes on that defense too. And they have good pieces. Uh, you know, you have to figure out how to make them not go after athletic trainers in the middle of games, but they have good young players on the defense. They just, I think they have a lot of questions to figure out uh, independent of 
what this year's team looked like. You can't just assume all those guys were back. We have one question that delves into this regarding all the Vikings decisions that have to be made moving forward. But Kevin wants to know, do you think the results of this game against the Giants will affect the Vikings decisions moving forward? So do you see a win or a loss really having a drastic effect on a decision they might have to make with one guy or another? I don't think it will affect how the front office sees this. Um, my hunch, and this is just a hunch, uh, but my hunch has been that as magical of a run as this has been, Quasi Adolfo Mensa might be sitting in his office saying, okay, yeah, this has been fun, but can we do this again? Or do we have to look at this a little bit more um, pragmatically? So, I don't know that a Super Bowl run, for example, would change a lot. I think you're still going to have an offseason where they say, yeah, this has been great, but we have to make some changes. The question, I guess, would be more in terms of how ownership sees it. If they go win, they go on a run, is there more of a run-it-back pressure from ownership to bring guys back like Harrison Smith, like Adam Thielen, like Dalvin Cook, like Eric Kendricks? These are some of the names that we're going to be talking about this offseason. Um, I I think if if ownership kind of says we're going to let you do what you want, um, I think it'll look different than if there's this pressure to say, hey, we it's got to look the way it has. And um, I my my hunch would be that a lot of the decisions about how this looks in the future have already kind of been made, and it's going to have a, a much different feel, a much different configuration next year, independent of what happens in the playoffs. Well, to put a, a finer point on that, what, what do you think it would do for a possible, because we got another question about a Kirk Cousins yeah. extension and Mike, yeah. I want to get your thoughts on that too. But in terms of just Kirk, Ben, what do you think about him? Well, I mean, you go back to the, I, I think the last extensive one-on-one Quasi did uh, with USA Today, where he did say, you know, the position that you, get nervous about blowing it up is quarterback. And there is that concern that if you go out and say, okay, we're going to go take a guy to replace a veteran starter that he ends up not being very good. I mean, especially where you're going to be picking, that is entirely possible. It's also entirely possible to miss on a guy at the top of the draft. We see that all the time too, but you're not going to have a swing at the top guys in this draft picking where they're going to be picking. So, I mean, the Cousins question is always, it seems like we do this every offseason and and we'll do it again with an extension this year. I would tend to think that the way they operated the offense, the way O'Connell felt about how he operated the offense, increases his um, stock, increases his likelihood of being back. I I think that's probably where we head with this, but... um, and you could do that. You could you could have him back for 2023 and say, we'll worry about an extension after this year if we feel like, you know, this is a, a good spot for us to be in. Some of the question here, too, I suppose, depends on when they want to do a Justin Jefferson deal. But I guess I tend to think he's back and that there's a little more momentum towards that than there had been simply because of how they feel about the way he's run the offense this year. Yeah, Mike, what do you what do you think? Do you think this game should kind of affect one way or another or a playoff run, I guess, affect one way or another some contract decisions? I, I think 
it's kind of both ways. It's almost like it feels like maybe it has more impact on a Cousins decision than it does maybe big picture roster building. Like if Cousins plays well in the playoffs, like that's that's a position you have to have figured out or feel good about, right? And if he does well and play, you know, wins a game against the Giants, and let's say they win another one after that, it's going to be really hard to say, okay, let's blow everything up at quarterback and start over at that position. But just from the nature of their salary cap, from the nature of how some of these players are aging out, some of the some of these things are just going to have to be addressed. Like they've kicked things down the road enough times that you you got to stop doing that at some point, or you're going to wind up with a bunch of 34 year olds on your roster, and that's not what you want. You don't want you know all of all of these guys who have been good for you um, to suddenly get old at the same time. Then you're you know you have a five and twelve season, and then you, you're really deep into a rebuild. But it's it's been such a, a an interesting, strange year because. Like we've talked about statistically, this has not been one of Cousins' best seasons. In fact, like if you just look at the overall numbers, it's been one of his least productive seasons from from certain standpoints. But he's also been very good in a lot of these close games, been a reason they've won a lot of these close games, has probably will get more comfortable and better if he was around for year two, year three, year four of, of Kevin O'Connell. So there's a lot of kind of interesting dynamics that play with him. But I think the roster has to go has to get younger into 2023 outside of quarterback just because there's there's no other way to do it. You can't keep can't keep all of these guys around and, and expect to to be good. And I think they, at least they're pragmatic about it. It's almost like the 2017 argument all over again when they had, you know, such a surprising year that year. And then it was like, well, run it back, but just get a better quarterback. And that wasn't really the answer, was it? No. No, it, it, it's it's an interesting question i mean you mentioned how many times they've kicked the can down the road um and I, I think we're we're talking a little bit this week about some of the players that are on this roster because of rick spielman and, and certainly he drafted justin jefferson after the eagles passed on him he drafted christian derisaw he drafted you know you go back to daniel hunter a guy that's still around has been awfully productive for a long time um you know, Harry, if you want to go back to Harrison Smith, that's pretty still much his everybody. Guy. Pretty much everybody um, on this roster that's playing, Kendrick. he he drafted. I mean, because they've they've gotten very little from Quasi's first yeah, draft. Yeah, Bradbury. Yes, that's true. But the thing I would say too is that the kick the can down the road, go do cap gymnastics and save us every offseason. Rob Brzezinski place they find themselves in is also a product of how they handle things with Rick Spielman. There was a lot of years of. Let's bring back Anthony Barr. Let's bring back Kyle Rudolph. I mean, they are still, those charges are still on their cap. And part of the reason they're sitting here saying, we have to make a big change with this roster is because there's been so many years of saying, well, let's run it back. Let's just, you know, rework some contracts, do some accounting tricks, move some money down the road. It is getting really hard to do that, especially as these players get old enough that you say, uh, you know, it's it's one thing to bring a guy back when he's 29. It's another thing, I think, when he's 32 or 33. So you've just gotten to that point where it's kind of an inevitable. And for all of the Spielman-drafted players that are here, the cap constraints they are under are also an effect of the Spielman approach over the years. So there's good and bad to it, certainly. But that's that's part of the story here as well. Um, we, we got a question from Lee who said, is it the new norm now with, uh, coaches like Sean Payton in New Orleans and Sean McVay in LA leaving their teams in bad situations? And I would say, don't be so short-sighted because every, typically every long tenured coach 
or GM, that's kind of how it flames out, right? Where they start feeling the pressure, they get a long leash like Mike Zimmer did to stretch it out after the 2019 uh, playoff victory in New Orleans to stretch that thing out with Rick Spielman for two more years. And that's where a lot of the damage was done with those extensions and deals yeah. you're talking about in, a, in kind of a win-now pressure mode, which is where the Rams found themselves at with less Sneed there enough, wanting to just maximize the window of, of the talent they had there with Sean McVay or the pay, um, the Saints doing it around Drew Brees. Um, Quasi Adolfo Mensa very much, as you mentioned, Ben, finds himself and has found himself for the whole year digging himself and trying to patch the holes in the boat as it's as it's rowing or whatever um <laughs> because of of all the crap that that went wrong with the other um administration that was just kind of pushing the stuff down the road in the attempt to save their jobs well and it was pushing the stuff down the road too with players that they were fond of that the market probably would not have been as fond of i mean anthony barr is the the prime example of this but you know, you pay a tight end, you pay two off-ball linebackers, Baron Kendricks, you pay a running back, Dalvin Cook, um, you pay wide receiver two, Adam Thielen, you know, after paying Stefan Diggs. I mean, a lot of those things were, oh, we like this guy, we want to bring him back. Um, they are, I think, paying for some of those things at this point. So, um, you know, it, it's not just run it back. It's, it's run it back in the way that we want to build our roster, which is not market efficient in a lot of ways that they did it. And I think you're, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what this offseason looks like, because I think it will tell us how much freedom Quasi Adolfo Mensa has to shape the roster. It will tell us a lot about how he views the roster and the way it's currently composed. Um, you know, what Kevin O'Connell wants. I, I think all of these things, this is going to be a fascinating offseason because I've, I've said it, but I, think the degree to which they won and the manner in which they did it has probably surprised even them. And this question of, can we just go do this again? I think if you're, if you're sitting there giving a hard look at it, it's hard to say, Oh yes, this will happen every year. Just the way it has this year. Joel wants to know why have Dalvin Cook's snaps gone up this season when Alexander Madison has been really good in providing a good changeup over cook. Joel wants to know, wouldn't there be value to a struggling run game? to vary those guys and potentially the running schemes along with them. Dalvin Cook has been playing a lot, um, yeah. even including the first half at Chicago where the game was relatively meaningless, especially with San Francisco running away with that game. So, yeah, what do you guys think of their usage at running back and especially Cook being one of those big decisions they have to make this offseason? Well, it's been interesting. I, I, I think after the game, I wrote about this a little bit on Monday, but you're looking at success rate on some of those carries. I think Cook had 10 or Madison had 10 and was successful on nine, meaning 40% of the yards you need on first down, 60% on second down, 100% on third or fourth down. When they needed a yard, he's been the guy that can get a yard. I mean, he, he runs, you know, kind of leans forward, runs with his pads low enough that he tends to fall forward a little bit more, I think, than Cook does. He's, he's a little less. Uh, likely to dance in the backfield probably than, than Cook has been. Some of the metrics would suggest that. Um, you know, so I, I think at the very least, some of these got to have a yard, got to have two yards, everybody knows we're going to run the ball type situations. Madison makes some sense there and has not had the fumbling issues that Cook has had. Um, you know, I, I think that's a worthwhile discussion of 
can you carve out a little more of a role for Alexander Madison than just, hey, Dalvin needs a blow here or there? Uh, you know, is there more of a, a package that you put in for him in uh, in some of those situations? Yeah, Mike, what do you think? I think it's been interesting because I think Madison has been good and he's gotten a lot of praise from, you know, O'Connell at certain points of the year. I go back to, I think the, yeah. he took in that screen pass. He had a, he had a, you know, it was a, it's like a six yard touchdown run. That was a pretty tough run. I can't remember what game it was, but you know, he's, he's been good. Sometimes it just looks like his legs are a little bit fresher and maybe that's because there's not as much mileage on them, whether it's this year or career wise. Now the, the interesting thing is, you know, they've got a decision to make on both of these guys. So it's not like either one of these guys is a slam yep. dunk to be here in 2023. So it's not like you're sacrificing playing time for Madison at the expense of Cook or Cook for Madison. And then you say, hey, we really like to get a look at this guy or this is going to be our guy going forward. So maybe that's that's the piece of it that we can't you know, we can't forget about. But, you know, it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing more more Alexander Madison. I think we've seen at various points when Cook has been hurt but there is a drop-off, but it feels like the drop-off isn't as noticeable to me this year. I do think the short yardage point is a good one too, because too often we see Dalvin Cook get taken down um, at or behind the line. And Madison is just such a tough runner. And I think that's maybe one thing he's got over Dalvin um, in terms of their comparison, where Dalvin's going to be that shifty open field runner um, and good with the zone vision too, obviously. But um, the problem is with the run game, it's not, I mean, they got good running backs, right? It's it's just the, the offensive line. Yeah, that's even, when they, even when they had Brian O'Neill healthy uh, and Garrett Bradbury healthy, they're a finesse offensive line. And when they get into power situations, they get overpowered and overwhelmed up front. And that's where the creativity I haven't seen, you saw it earlier in the year from Kevin O'Connell, especially in the red zone stuff, um, they're pretty creative with creating space for these guys. But then I can't remember. It must have been at Lambeau when Austin yeah. Schlotman goes down. It's just two straight runs up the middle yep, at the right goal, the goal line. line. Yeah, and I'm thinking like, okay, where's, you know, you got all these playmakers. Like, I understand you can't fake it every single time, but do some kind of misdirection or have CJ Ham or Madison or some of these guys try to power it in there. But um, the personnel and the matching up in the situations, it just leaves a lot of questions that, you do wonder how much of it's a first-year play caller and head coach kind of who's a former quarterback. Uh, I know he was an offensive coordinator who's called a lot of running plays before, but running game is not necessarily his forte, um, I wouldn't say, in terms of specialty. So I do wonder how much of that is kind of the first-year coach going through it. Um, but they need to figure out something because the Giants the Giants can run it in short yardage with, with Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, all right. We got another question from Mike wants to know strange how Kirk cousins has such a bad win loss record when not playing in the early time slot, any idea how to explain that or fix it. And you ever seen that with another player? Um, Ben, we've talked about this, Mike, we've all talked about this so much um, in that it probably just comes down to playing the best teams in these time slots (laughs) and more, more playoff caliber teams in the primetime matchups. Yeah, and the thing that never gets done with this, I mean, it comes up all the time, uh, we never index it against other quarterbacks. I mean, I I don't think I ever see um, this kind of measured against how other people do in those primetime settings. I I feel like I looked at it um, a 
couple of times. And, you know, the Monday night thing stands out. I mean, we've talked about that ad nauseum over the years. But um, I don't feel like the numbers were as bad as the QB wins narrative um, would suggest that they are. So uh, he's been good on on Sunday nights typically. Uh, I think his win-loss record there is kind of right around 500. Um, Thursday nights, I think it's about the same thing. He's been a 500 quarterback throughout his career. So I'm a little bit over that now because of this year. But, um, you know, he, he's won in about a 500 clip for most of his career. And um, 325s are are interesting because I, the Vikings have not played that many of the late afternoon games over the, the time that he's been here. I mean, they've had a couple. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I, I would guess, and I somebody can check me on this, but – my guess is they've played more night games than late afternoon games in his time as the starting quarterback. So, um, you know, the, it's a little bit hard to kind of draw a straight line statistically on all this stuff, but um, hopefully I've vamped long enough for somebody to have looked up some numbers and, and maybe we can add a little more to the conversation that way. Uh, all I've found are, QB's the highest career passer rating and most wins over the last like six years in primetime games. And shocker, they are all quarterbacks who are on good teams in those spans. They're Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, um, teams that get on primetime a lot and generally uh, are surrounded by a lot of talent. Where are Rodgers uh, and Brady in that mix, yeah. just out of curiosity? Uh, um, Breeze, uh, excuse me, Breeze is up there. Rogers has the number one passer rating in primetime games in NFL history. Um, Mahomes is number three. Uh, Brady's not in the top five, but Brady did was in the top five of most wins on primetime in yeah. the last six years. Well, um, everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's good teams. And yes, of course, good quarterbacks make good teams. But my point is, is that Kirk Cousins has not always been on the best teams where having the 31st and 32nd ranked defense in 2020 and 2021 don't help him. And then all of those god-awful matchups where they kept drawing the Bears on Monday night all those years probably didn't pad his stats very well either. I'm not trying to be a Kirk Cousins apologist, but we have seen him live up in some pressure situations that don't lead me to believe that he's quote-unquote wilting um, under the pressure. So, Mike, I don't know if you have any strong opinions on that. I don't have any strong opinions. Was the Cowboys game this year a three thirty game? I think it was. I feel like it was, but maybe I'm. Yeah, it was. Maybe I'm, so that that doesn't that one sticks in my mind as a hey that wasn't great um, kind of scenario. Um, Both Packers games were three twenty five. Yeah, so so two of their I mean two of their real clunkers lately were three twenty five starts. I don't know. I think I think what you said is probably a better explainer though. Like they're playing when you whenever you're in that time slot, it's it's dubbed to be a good game, right? It's it's supposed to be the kind of the the national matchup and it's given that time slot so it's going to be a harder opponent no matter what and that probably explains that more than it's anything america's but week. what's that said it's america's game of the week it's america's game of the week so i don't know i don't know what yep. what to make of it other than uh it's you know it's it's an interesting stat i think he's like seven and 17 or something like that in that time slot but i don't i don't i don't know if it's uh i don't know if it's anything more than you know a statistical outlier, but it's something to watch to see how these to see how they come out in particular in this in the in the early parts of this game on Sunday. Yeah, to me, it matters much more about who they're playing. Like Kirk Cousins' last postseason, where he went on the road and made some really big throws against the Saints at the Superdome to win in overtime, might have been a push off by Kyle Rudolph, but we won't talk about that. 
and then had to go on the road to San Francisco. We don't talk about Rudolph. <laughs> had to go on the road to San Francisco where they got pummeled and he got sacked six times and there was just no chance in that game. So it might just be uh, who you're playing. And so that's why on Sunday, it seems like a coin flip chance. Um, do you guys have any major predictions before we go on what's going to happen on Sunday? Mike, what is your feeling? Is, I mean, they've won so many 11-0 and in one-score games. I mean, I think the only thing you can say about this team is that playing the Giants, it's probably going to be a close game. The Giants are not a great team, but they're in the playoffs. They're a good team. The Vikings don't – their MO is not to win by a lot, and they, they do enough to keep teams in games. They're flawed enough to, to be in that space where – I think the only sane prediction to make is that this game is probably going to be down to the last five minutes. And that's a, it's a, it's a place the Vikings are very comfortable in, but it's also a place that's uncomfortable in the playoffs because you mess up once and you're done. Ben, what about you? Uh, I predict that I will be scrambling in the last five minutes as I have done just about every week to rewrite the game story. I file uh, right at the end of it. Um, you know, I, just kind of and prepared for that, kind of ready for that. I, I think this will be close. I, I, I agree with Mike. I, I think everybody expects that. Um, the, the one scenario where I could see it not being close is if they are able to solve that rush and really put up some points on this Giants defense. I think in that scenario, they have an opportunity to pull away, but we've seen them have those chances this year where they haven't taken advantage of those. So, yeah, I think this is close. I think they, I think they win, um, but I, I think it'll come right down to it. And it's one of those where everybody will be, you know, gnawing at their fingernails for most of the afternoon on Sunday, as as you do in the playoffs. That's kind of part of the deal. I think if you're a Vikings fan, you're rooting for three things this weekend: just utter chaos. You're rooting for obviously a win against the Giants, but you're rooting for Seattle to upset San Francisco, and you're probably rooting for Tom Brady to upset yeah. Dallas, to where Tom Brady would be the one coming into U.S. Bank Stadium next weekend or the weekend after this weekend. The charm path you want is Giants, Buccaneers, Seahawks. <laughs> I mean, that yep. is probably not going to happen, but. Uh, they they have they've had enough things go their way this year that if if that if there is a a golden road to the Super Bowl that's probably it. You, you Vikings fans, you want to be just the Elmo meme in front of just a vol- volcano of fire, just you know cheering for utter chaos this NFL weekend because <laughs> uh, it's go. the only way. I just don't see them going to San no. Francisco. I just don't. No. All right. Well, that'll be it for this episode of Access Vikings. Thank you guys for checking it out. We will be uh, doing some stuff on YouTube as well, sharing the mailbag there on our YouTube channel. So please check out all of our work at startribune.com and follow us on Twitter and social media where you can find all of the links to all of that work.